Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast number five in the wake of the Irish Grand Slam. Good evening. Good evening. Um, let's start with a simple question. Um, how do you rate Ireland's performance against England better than the one against New Zealand? Oh, that's... <coughs> that's not a simple question. That's quite, it's quite a difficult question. I rate the performance and the win against New Zealand as the the best Irish rugby performance and the best Irish rugby result of all time. So while beating England and Twickenham is, you know, a really difficult thing to do, no, I don't think it's as good as beating New Zealand. I, yeah, <laughs> damn it, good question. I, yeah, I'd have to concur. Um, I suppose you could argue there's, there's more at stake in the, in the Grand Slam match, but the... Just for the sheer joyousness, well, there was a lot of joy on Saturday. Ah, oh, there's not much in it. I'd, 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 I'd be yeah, New Zealand. I would still plump for the New Zealand game as well. Although I didn't enjoy that at all because I thought we kept on thinking we we're going to lose like oh, 2013. So, so, did I. so did I. I'm never going to think that again though. After watching the team so clinically uh, pull apart England, um, I. In reference to the opposition, um, what sort of level do you think England were at? And do you think that contributes to maybe why we ranked that New Zealand game as being slightly better? Yeah, England came into the game on the back of two defeats. One, um, quite a uh, an average performance against a very good Scotland. And, and then just a very, very poor performance against uh, an, an average French side um, and I expected them to come out and I think everyone expects them to come out with a hiss and a roar defending their home turf but it was us who started much quicker much more abrasively it got points on the board really quickly and England struggled to mount a challenge now they came back they never really came into the game you know they came back pretty hard in the first the first 10 minutes of the, the second half the the eight-minute spell that Joe Schmidt has referred to a couple of times already, um, but we 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 dealt with that short purple patch extremely well, and in truth, you know they they got a try with the very last movement of the game in which we were under no scoreboard pressure whatsoever, uh, and that just saved a few blushes because a twenty-four fifteen looks like it might have been a game at some stage, whereas. 24-10 looks as though it's as bad a home loss as you've had in 20 years. Our predictions have got better, maybe yeah. say. <laughs> well, I mean, you you thought France would beat Wales and they didn't, but they nearly did. Oh, I'm wrong all the time. And, uh, I thought England would get a, a late try to put a gloss on the scoreboard and nothing else. To go back to the question about the New Zealand, yeah, New Zealand were on, were they going for 20 wins? In that test match against us in Chicago, I think they were. Yeah. Um, whereas England were going for that last year, uh, but they were playing us. Um, they were playing us at home. So I think I think that's where the excitement was, and um, Ireland are really good. Ireland were good back then as well, but Ireland have got Ireland have maintained. A, a sort of a steady ascent and have had a turnover of players and have like have kept that but have kept that level like have kept that level of concentration have proved that that match against New Zealand wasn't a one-off I mean like we hosed the Springboks as well and I think it's a match that um like it's just it's just an incredible it's an incredible result and I think the fact that um the the, the coach left afterwards and the fact that 
the Springboks don't hold the, the, don't hold the same mystique as the um, as the All Blacks do. Probably doesn't get quite the credit it deserves. Um, that was an awesome performance, and then we were in. You know, we're going for a, uh, we're going for a Grand Slam, and we we looked really good in the rest of the championship. Um, so there was quite a level of expectation going in. Whereas I think we were seventeen point underdogs against New Zealand in Chicago. Yeah, and you know we ended this um, championship with with twenty tries scored, which was the highest number of tries scored since uh, England in two thousand and two. Um, which is an extremely impressive uh, body of work to put behind you. Like Galland was at a few quotes I read this morning or yesterday evening talking about how the Irish would uh, would know they've been lucky, you know, and that if Gareth Anscombe had thrown his pass, this this famous Gareth Anscombe pass, which, uh, to be honest, has become so... D- d- I thought it was always quite a red herring, but if uh, if Gallen is is complaining about things which did and didn't happen, and complaining about things which didn't happen, maybe the fact that Johnny Sexton didn't get any kicks in that game or got one kick or something, he might count himself a bit lucky, you know, because maybe if Johnny Sexton had kicked all his kicks, would have been in an even much more advantageous position. So once you get into these hypothetical situations. Like I think he he would do well to <laughs> he would do well to stop talking so much fucking guff. I'm surprised at him. I don't know if he's trying to just have a poke some fun at Schmidt, but Schmidt has won three tournaments since the last time Gatland won anything. Um, so there's only one coach on the ascendancy there. I think Gatlin has enough credit in his in his coaching bag to be able to throw a few barbs around like that, but I don't think it, it I don't think it stands up to scrutiny. That um, Ireland Ireland brought a tremendous physicality, and I suppose there's been criticism of of Schmidt's style being boring. And I have to admit, like I, I particularly one game against Australia in November, I think it was 2013. I looked at the way the Aussies were playing, and they looked at we and we won that match. Ireland won that match. Um, but I thought that the Aussies were far more constructive with their use of the ball and showed a far no, better skill No, we lost in 2013. Well, the one we the one we won, 20, oh, maybe it was 15. Yeah. Uh, it was one we won, Henry Spate was playing in the wing, and it uh, it wasn't the one that Carberry went on at fullback. So, um, but I, I think with Schmidt and the style of rugby that he plays, when what really hit me about the match early on watching it live was that when England threw everything at us in the first few minutes and really wanted to beat us up, we withstood it. And then we went down to their end of the pitch and we've sort of laughingly referred to like putting teams among us, among ourselves, but you know, not, not that far away from the truth of, of putting teams into the meat grinder of just like that one out physical abrasive CJ standard led, like just run into them, take them on physical style of play. And it was really reassuring to go back to that at Twickenham and just go like, you're not going to beat us up, lads. We're going to beat you up. Like we've been doing this all year. <laughs> I mean, so you you're the big. You're, I mean, you're going for the knockout blow here. You're you're the big heavy guy who's you're going to punch yourselves out here. You're not fit enough. We're fit. We're going to take this and we're going to smash you. And we just went. We are we going to grind you? We're not necessarily going to. We're going to grind you. We're going to grind you all day. And we did that. And um, when one of the one of the things that always you come back to in rugby is like you have to win the fight first and foremost you have to physically win before anything else can happen and to, to reference another New Zealand match the one after they after we'd beaten them the Kiwis just came to beat us up so they went out and was it Shawnee they tipped off the first kickoff yeah and yeah. so they got Shawnee in the first bit they they, they got a high shot in Henshaw a really high shot, Malachi Fekato and Zebo. And Zebo. That was a ridiculous high shot. And I remember at the time that it, it got a it got a yellow. And every every time you looked at it, it didn't matter if it was in slow motion reverse ever, it just got worse and worse. It was an absolute red. Um but they did win the fight. You know? And Part of this, when we were sort of talking about beforehand, I was thinking of uh, Robin Brooke, and then I had to second guess myself. It wasn't Robin Brooke, it was Mark Andrews. So the Mark Andrews reference, Mark Andrews 
was a second row who played for South Africa in Natal in the 90s and he went to number eight um, in the 95 World Cup and actually played at number eight in the 95 World Cup final to give uh, South Africa a more line-out power and maybe a better scrum against uh, New Zealand. Um, <laughs> Andrews was famously hard slash dirty in that sort of mid-90s rugby. Mm. So one of the guys who played with him in Natal was saying he used to have a list of three of the opposition that he was going to get during the match. And they used to watch the reviews. And even if they'd been beaten by 20 points, they used to watch like Andrews chase guys down in the 70 something minute to get him and make sure he got him. And, and Robin Brook used to do the same. Like he, he didn't, they didn't get caught because there weren't as many cameras, the touch judges didn't go in, but they were really good at it. But like, it's not, it's not really said much, but there's the higher up you go, there is a sort of a meanness and a physicality implicit in the game. And it's what roots out a lot of guys on the way up is that you do, you need that skill set, you need the awareness, you need the discipline. Like there's all those things that you need and that transfer over very well in sort of newspaper and documentaries. But when you're playing in Bloemfontein and when you're playing in, in Dunedin and like all these places <laughs> against these big rural guys in a physical, physical match, when you're playing like down in France in like uh where do they uh, the Amgeral the bear pit yeah the Amgeral but they used to play against Languedoc you know the the, the touring teams he's got a Languedoc like it's just it's just straight out physical you, you've you've got to win that battle and Schmidt's game plan allows his teams to win that battle they're really cohesive but they're really physical like they will bring the fight and I think that that was that was the really the hallmark for me uh, of the match against England was like they came out and they threw everything at us and it didn't phase Ireland yeah they the like because they've, they've there's that makes like you've got Rory Best um, who is is as tough a rugby player as, as they come um, and you know he's he's Rory's like 35 I think at this stage uh, Keane Healy has been around the block several times O'Mahony's standard again their late 20s but Guys like Hendo in his mid twenties, twenty six, I think. Uh, James Ryan, twenty one. Levy, twenty four. Levy's very, very competitive. Ryan is very competitive. Uh, Ty Furlong, very competitive. Physically, a huge man as well. The photo of him actually, when they were lifting the cup, and he had his hands in the air, he's standing beside Sexton. He'd make two of Sexton. He's enormous, but it is a really strong pack. Um. And we've had strong packs before, you know. We have had strong packs before, uh, but we used to have, you know, we used to have more of a concentrate in the back five rather than the front five. Like if the days of Ferris, uh, Sean O'Brien, and Jamie Heaslip with Paulie in in, in and uh, you know in the twenty eleven World Cup, that was that was Callahan, yeah. pretty ferocious as well, but. There is a case of this side is, is a this side is just a better coach side than that twenty eleven side, much better coach, much more cohesive. The, every element of of each action that they do is is I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's really accurate. In terms of um, the strength of some of the players, um, how come it we're we have. Um, there's three players who came off the same 2016 under 20s team mm. who were like in the in the Irish team that wins a Grand Slam in Stockdale and Ryan and Andrew Porter they're all on the same team. Um, how come we've got to a situation where we've got like our 21 year old players are now physically able to perform at that level? Well, I think I think that those are three incredible physical specimens in the first place. Uh, I certainly remember seeing James Ryan as an under-16 playing for Leinster Schools. and It was very obvious he was going to be an international player um, like relatively, relatively quickly after that. Um, so there is, there is just a natural... Uh, there's a natural ability that three players have. But, you know, there's a lot to be said for uh, how the talent of identification program is starting it at under 16s and by the time they get to under 20s they've been under close observation and you know maybe one or two of them have actually been in academy 
by uh, system for a year at that stage. So they've already been working really hard with the goal of becoming a pro player. Uh, Stockdale said that he wants to play in the Six Nations. I think by the time he was either 23 or 24. Um, and he mentioned, actually one, one of the things he said was that Zebo uh, deciding to move to Rassing and uh, Joe Schmidt, Dusty dropping him, sort of pushed forward his promotion. Um, which is an interesting thing to consider in its own right. I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, when we looked at the the sort of the various four up, five up articles, uh, it wasn't so much they were ones to watch that we thought, oh, these guys are definitely going to go. It was like, how how is, how is their story going to develop? And competition for places was one of the themes. Uh, so who's in your position? And then like having a mentor and then getting the breaks. So having a mentor means that somebody needs to take an interest in your career. Somebody needs to pick you for a team. Somebody needs to maybe pick you more than once um, and stick with you and, and make the decision. And and then you just need to get lucky. Um, but, you know, it's I'm trying to remember that sort of it's uh, luck is when opportunity and preparation meet. It's, you know, it's one of those kind of self-help things, but th- there's a large dollop of truth in it. Um, I, I remember being at a, a Leinster schools played Australian schools and I went down to watch it and meet up with a friend and have a few points but uh, Tim Schmidt was playing who's Joe Schmidt's son so Joe Schmidt happened to be at it and we happened to be standing sort of beside him and James Ryan was the captain of that team and he was the oh man that guy James Ryan we need to get him in the system pretty quick so Ryan <laughs> Ryan was I think 17 at that mm-hmm. stage and he was in Schmidt's plans I suppose but it takes somebody to pick you so the the physical preparation that goes into it is really good but Schmidt needed to make like if Schmidt had picked Ryan on the bench and picked Toner and Henderson. Oh, nobody and would have complained. Brought James Ryan on for 10, 15 minutes at the end of matches. Like no one would have complained if he'd have kept Andrew Porter, you know, in Carton House training away and picked uh, John Ryan on the bench. No one would have batted an eyelid. And if Jacob Stockdale hadn't got picked and he'd have gone with, you know, Ferg or Dave Carney, he would have given himself a stick to beat. But like Ulster aren't playing that well. So you can sort of point and go, oh, you know, Stockdale short of confidence and you know, Ferg this, Ferg that. Um, but he didn't. He, he went with all those guys. And he picked he picked Larmer uh, in his 23, um, which, again, like, wasn't... It wasn't the most immediately obvious thing for quite a conservative coach to do. So I think the talent identification program, I think having somebody like... Not somebody like... Having, specifically having Nusafora. When Nusafora came in, he wanted those guys and he said as much he wanted high profile like high sort of ceilinged fellas that's not quite the right phrase high potential athletes to be fast-tracked because with quite a small playing population relatively speaking that is the best way for Ireland to get competitive so like the 20s were hammered by England and the 20s usually get hammered by England certainly in the last few years England's Mm. underage under 20 program has been really really well run since kind of George Ford and Owen Farrell were on the same team like they're consistently one of the top two teams in the world. But they've miles more players. Like, they have they don't have any weaknesses on their 20s teams. But how many guys they have who are at that elite level who can who can make the move into international rugby within two or three years is, is kind of the same as Ireland's. And that, so that's, that's what Irish rugby, I think, has done very well in recent years is allow their high potential guys to make, the, make that move. Uh, with that conversation in mind, um, are there any guys you think of who haven't got a shout yet, who are still playing provincial level, that uh, you think will be taken to Australia by Joe and then anyone that you would like to see? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I think Max Deegan might go um, as a number eight. I think that as coming from the same year as Stockdale... Ryan Porter and being actually junior world player of the year that year he's got really strong credentials for a guy who could be a really uh, a long term player and I, I think that's the benefit of going to Australia mightn't be immediate for him especially like he can't play the game the standard place at the moment he's not fit. nobody can play the game the standard place at the moment um, and, and Max Egan can't but 
the uh, rugby in Ireland doesn't end after World Cup 2019 and, and Deacon is, is a very talented player who is going to be an international. So I look at it and I, I think that that's a, that's a, it's a good tour for him to go on. I I've mentioned Jack O'Donoghue a few times. So he he was the same year as Levy. I can't remember. Who, I think Levy was captain of that twenties team first. Did a shoulder against England, and, and then O'Donoghue took over. Yeah, O'Donoghue took over, and then missed. I think he missed the World Cup through injury himself. Yeah, it was he, it was twenty fourteen. Did he have to drop out of that World Cup? Anyway, I think I think he's a good candidate. I think the other guy from that back row, Sean O'Brien, is of interest. The the real Sean O'Brien uh, from from Connacht. Uh, in the blindside flanker um, again I think he's a guy with a bit of potential uh, and I'd say I really like Tommy O'Brien and the, Curtis the two centres from the from this year's 20s are both to me high potential players who will play for Ireland uh, I, 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 I thought Tommy O'Brien was the pick of the backs last year when Larmer was playing but I could understand I could see like how how much ability Larmer had um, but I, th- I think Tommy O'Brien's a super player Mm. Curtis also is has uh, he's a, he's got leadership running through he'd be a a third generation international if he was to get captain he plays he plays like an international he contests everything he loves getting on the ball he loves making hits he loves making last ditch hits on behalf of other people he's got a super attitude to the game he's teak tough uh, and I was really impressed by him against him. He was the one guy who kept on sticking up his hand when they were getting, uh, when they were really under the pump. I was really impressed by him. Yeah, um, it's one of those uh, kind of Freakonomics posts about kids that are born in January, far out number, kids that are born in November, December at age grade. And they looked at the, the spread statistically. But there's, there's one predictor, and I think it was Major League Baseball that they looked at, and then it was replicated in the NFL as well. There was one predictor miles ahead of any other thing <laughs> Your dad. <laughs> your dad. If your dad was a professional ball player, it miles more likely compared to anything else that you would be as well. So Curtis. So the the other one, I, I thought he was very good last year, twenties, and I haven't heard a lick of him. Was uh, Saunders the the scrum so me too. Rob it's, Saunders. I I don't know what's happened to him. Um, he was really impressive last year. Um, in a, in a not in a non vintage under twenties. Um, let's go back and uh, talk more about Twickenham because it's great. Yeah, um, it was great. I have in mind my own personal pick for the uh, player of the tournament. Uh, he plays for Ireland. Um, who would be your pick? Um, it's it's a tough one. Uh, a lot of people have said that Tyke Furlong should be there, and Tyke did play great, but Tyke only played in in three matches, and he started the Italian match, but lasted three minutes. Uh, Porter played 70, 76 odd minutes and he played a lot of the Welsh games. So Tiger, for I don't think he'd become player of the tournament on the back of, of three games. Uh, Jake Stockdale's try scoring feats are incredible, phenomenal. But really, I think it comes down to um, a choice between Ireland's halfbacks, Connor Murray and Johnny Sexton. And Sexton provided more standout moments, but. Murray was more reliable, was there for more, and you know picked up the slack when Sexton like Murray took two goal kicks and got them both, uh, which is extremely impressive. And got one against the All Blacks in that match we keep referring to. Oh yeah, so to be honest, I can I can I can't split it between those two. You know, um, without without Sexton, like Ireland just don't win that Grand Slam uh, because of the drop goal. Without Murray, we don't win the Grand Slam because we're not as good of a team without Murray. So I can't, I can't call it between them. I chose for my guy. I went with uh, Murray. I thought that he was so good at so many parts of scrum half play, um, like everything. So even like the place kicks we mentioned, his box kicking is just superb. Like the clearances, the pressure that we are we can put on the sort of. Like one of the complaints that I'd have had about Ireland after the 2015 World Cup was that everything comes off um, the number 10. And once Sexton went and Madigan went in, we, we, I, did, I didn't think we used Murray. I didn't think Murray was given enough Autonomy. sort of leeway yeah. for us to play off nine. Um, but 
even even the break that he made in the lead up to Stockdale's try. So to to look down the blind side, which is where Carberry was going, like it, that was sort of the run of play, um, and then the little break to to give it to Stockdale, like that's enough. That 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 was pure, like that just little moment of invention. Whereas another scrum half would have just kicked it out. Like mm. we were in injury time, we were. Fourteen points to five up. Yeah, that you know, like that was that, was, and, and our out half was off the pitch. And if everything comes off him, you know, no one's gonna. But that was that was absolutely the match won at halftime. And like I, I refer to it again, like watching him play live, he's just so quick with it. And you could even see it on um, on Saturday. Like he, he, every rook he gets to, and he's going to give it open. He always has a little look down the blind now, which mm. I love because. Luke McGrath, I always think, has his mind made up when he goes to a rook. Like, he knows before he even gets there what he's going to do. And that has a place, but with Murray, like, it's it's always on. There's always a threat. He's he's a breaking threat. He brings other guys in. I just think, um, like, Jeremy Guscott said Ireland had no world-class players. Now, he, he wasn't rigorous enough about defining what a world-class player is, but to my mind, Conor Murray is the best scrum half in the world at the moment. I agree. I agree. Well, my pick was Conor Murray. Uh, but predominantly just the, the the thing that impressed me most, aside from his general brilliance around the pitch, was uh, taking the two goal kicks um, w- without batting an eyelid uh, when Sexton was missing, despite the fact that, I mean, it's sort of become known that he can kick goals, but he's never been a goal kicker for any team. Well, Murray used to kick for, for Gary Owen, and I remember seeing him kick for a Munster A before. Um but it's a any pro di- team, it's a, I mean. it's a big difference kicking for Monster yeah. A than kicking for a Grand Slam. As much as much as we love the BNI Cup. Yeah. Um, then speaking of uh, other uh, players on the Ireland team, um, Rob Kearney had a phenomenal game despite our constant calls to Axon. <laughs> Speak for yourselves. My I, constant calls. Your constant calls. I say he's world class. Um, he did have a. Do you know it's. Um, I'm a Kearney fan, as listeners of the podcast I'm know. a Dave Kearney fan. <laughs> Just like Shane Ross. <laughs> um, he he finished top of the in, in the entire Six Nations of for defenders beaten. Um, he showed, like, he's uh, Rob Kearney's got moves. He's got a spin out. He's got a huge fend for a guy who is not a big back anymore by international standards. And he's got, you know, better feet than... Uh, than people give him credit for. But yeah, it was a return to form. Uh, and I have to say, it was, I was very happy to see him uh, to see him play so well because I, I feel that he has been over-criticised at times. Um, now, some of the criticism that has come his way has been fair, just like some of the criticism that comes any, any player's way is fair. Uh, but I, I do feel at times that he's been scapegoated. And it was great for him to... You know, he's he started all... 20 games of Ireland's four championship wins since and including uh, 2009 which is a, an incredible testament to his uh, to firstly his own ability and secondly his contribution to the team yeah his value to the team I was out for a run yesterday and I was like oh man like, how am I going to explain this one away <laughs> he was really good um, and the the sort of the, the intangibles I cast my mind with Rob Kearney and the sort of the coverage after the 2009 Grand Slam because while Rory Best was there, he was one of the sort of the Edinburgh Four who was dropped in and then swiftly taken out again. And he's, he, he Bestie's on record about his frustration with Kidney and being mm-hmm. dropped in that match and really sort of feeling that like it was, a, it was a sop to him getting picked for that Edinburgh match. He'd rather he hadn't been if he wasn't going to be in line for the Cardiff match. So not getting distracted by that. If you go back before that match, there was that meeting in Enfield, and it on was the field. one on on field. It was the one where um, the Munster guys were questioned. You know what what was so different about playing in red compared to playing in green, and then the sort of the, the red blue. And they, th- there was a lot of talk about that in the aftermath of the 09 Grand Slam. And Carney was the one who asked the question. So he was only a young fella there, but t- you look back more and you go, God, that was a long time ago. And yeah. Carney was. Kearney had enough confidence, which doesn't seem surprising now, to, to ask that question and to to open his mouth and ask a difficult question. 
and you go like so I refer to him as in my, my notes here like as the eminence grease of of Joe's setup and on the spine of the team he obviously brings a lot to the party I like the sort of the wider the wider group yeah just in terms of of confidence and well, Joe Schmidt has referenced him before in the same group as you know he's talked about a spine of Roy Best, Conor Murray, uh, Jonathan Sexton, and, and Rob Kearney. He thinks of he thinks of those four players as that's that's the the leadership group, you know. And obviously a spine, you know, straight down the middle in terms of the positions. But Peter O'Mahony is in that group as well, I think. Yeah, well, you know, Peter O'Mahony, judging from both of lifting the trophy and everything, and it's just his general demeanor around is is part of that group. But it was it's more. My point was more that when people are always calling for, uh, a lot of people, people that I disagree with, are calling for Rob Carney to be demoted, you know, and to some extent it's it's anybody but Carney. You know, the calls over the years have been for Zebo, Tierno O'Halloran, Payne, Conway even. Um, and all of those guys have had, have had a legitimate shout to be uh, considered a 15. And the other thing is, Bar Conway, all of them have had a run in the fifteen jersey. Yeah, he's a he's a great survivor. Um, that he's he's sort of seen off guys, and he's had really serious injuries himself. Because um, we were sort of referring to what Marty Kinsler wrote about the likes of Mike Brown and Lee Halfpenny and the, the sort of the more stable fullbacks. So if I was looking at you know who are the best fullbacks, who would I have in my world fifteen? It would be sort of between Christian Cullen and Serge Blanco. It'd be these incredible attacking talents who could do everything but I do remember watching one match and this is real rugby nerddom and and seeing Liam McDonald play for the Crusaders against one of the Aussie teams I think it was the Queensland Reds and no matter what the Reds where the Reds kicked it it didn't bounce McDonald just picked off every single kick and like a kill Queensland because they just couldn't get a purchase because Crusaders just either counter-attacked and scored or just kept the ball and nailed them back and the 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 value of a defensively steady fullback is it, it's underappreciated probably in the same way that physicality is easily underappreciated and when we were when we were chatting about Gatland and we, met, we referred to Wales last week so Wales won they beat France but Gatland sort of gives the impression oh like you know there's a right way to play rugby and if Gareth Anscombe had got that pass out the back then you know the whole thing would have been different. But I thought that the match, the, the Wales-France match, because it was so interesting, was because, like, France are the antithesis of Ireland. They're not organised at all. Like, they, they're they really emotional. There's a massive passion play. I, I think what Brunel has done is sort of give the conch to the players, and he, he picks the team. And the French were just, like, a bunch of guys just having battles with their opposite number and battles with Wales but like they really brought the fight to Wales and Wales didn't have a pattern left at all because they were just having the, the crap knocked out of them now they have enough footballers to be able to hang on or they have enough experience to be able to, to 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 bring the match that way but it was just a reminder of you've got to be able to win that battle first and mm. foremost before you want to do anything else Wales would have lost that one without Alan Wynne Jones I know that this sometimes degenerates or ascends into an Alan Wynne Jones love fest but without Alan Wynne Jones, they would have lost that game. And it's not as though he got them a load of points or anything like that. It's that he provided leadership and he was the one he was the one player who and he was up against an absolute physical phenom in Valmahina. And that was a that was a great battle. Great one on one. But he was the one player who Welsh player who didn't lose contacts and who won contacts, you know, without exception. Frankly, throughout the whole game he was he was dominating. Uh, because that the the game was like the 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 Welsh try was ridiculous. It was so scrappy. France should be embarrassed by that. Uh, it was you know three Stooges stuff as as I said on a on a tweet earlier. But there was there was <laughs> there was some really good play from France. Their own try was brilliant. Talen's great break down the right was brilliant. And Benjamin Fall, for a guy who I always think of as one of the guys killed in a harmless gasoline fight in Zoolander. Um, 
he had a cracker at fullback. Now, he's played well at fullback for Montpellier this season, and it wasn't out of the blue. But it's still, it was still impressive to see it. The other thing that, that interests me about the, the French side is that there are a lot of players in that side. Because they have a big league and they pick from a league, they don't pick from an elite player system like uh, England do or from a centrally contracted system like we do. They have a lot of guys who are 27, 28, 29 before they pick up any big number of caps and they turn over a lot of players all the time. Um, and it's an interesting thing to consider whether or not that is still the best way to select for international <laughs> international rugby. Um, it, well, in terms of where that French French team is going, uh, those saying like they're the first steps of like getting the passion up and getting the fight back into the team. They, so they sound like they're a good while behind Ireland and a good while even behind say someone like Scotland, who seem to be more tactically astute than them. I think that the French are going to New Zealand as well f- this summer for a three-test series, which is a dreadful place to go for a three-test series. They'd only be going there. If they... Ideally, they'd be going to South Africa, which would be a great spot for them. And now England are going to South Africa. It's going to be a good spot for England to go. France went uh, to South Africa last year and lost three tests. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're better, better now. They seem to be better. I think they're better now than they were then. Uh, I think it's... I was really impressed. There's a couple of players, because Gerardo has been sensation for them as a nominee for uh, Six Nations Player of the Year, but Policier had a super uh, had a super test. And then Camille Chat came on, a guy who I wouldn't be hugely convinced of up until the other day when I thought he had a blinder off the bench. Um, so they've got some really good strength in um, They've got some really good strength in depth at hooker, which is always a key position for them. You know, if you go back through the list of hookers, like... Rafi Ibanez, Daniel Dubroca, Paco. It's it's always been a really important position in France. The only the only thing about teams getting better is, and Gregor Townsend referred to this after the match against Ireland, is how oh you know they're on the right path and we're sort of you know we're only a few years behind Ireland. And every coach has to say that. Every coach has to believe that. But it doesn't, it doesn't work out like that, that just because you make that first improvement from sort of level one up to level two, up to level three, it doesn't mean you're going to get up to, like, say, say level five is the top of the game. Just because you go one, two, three, like, it doesn't follow that you go four, five. It doesn't follow that you, there's a progression onwards and onwards and yeah, onwards and upwards and upwards. you lose some energy upwards. bars and at I level think, three. And I think, yeah, you lose your energy bars and your hit points and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's where, like, Schmidt, again to refer to like how good he is has done a really a phenomenal job at Ireland in a way is that Ireland standard has got better and it's it's slowly ascended and I think like one of the moments that stood out for me when when Adrisco was playing for Ireland he he'd make passes out of the back of his hands and he'd make he he'd offload the ball and he'd throw the sort of the the less than 50-50 pass and Shane Horgan would be the sort of the guy who would be closest to Schmidt at that time commenting in the media. And he said, look, you're, you're, you're given a range of options. Like you're, you're allowed to pick the options, but if it doesn't work, you know, if the higher risk option doesn't work out for you, he'll just drag you over the coals on Monday. So you can sort of, you can understand how guys would go towards the more conservative play. So the, the moment that stood out for me was when Larmer went on and Ringrose went into first center. Ringrose went breaking outside and, He's more of a second centre than a first centre. But, like, to my mind, he was just looking to give the ball to Larmer. And I was shouting at the TV, because, what were we, 21 10 up at that stage? I was like, give it to Larmer, give it to Larmer. And Larmer got the ball and, like, skinned. Oh, skinned Rob Shaw. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was brilliant because oh, yeah. they wouldn't have known what was going to happen. Like, you know, he's, he's some sort of kid that they haven't heard of. They might have seen, like, a clip of him score that try against Munster. But it's, it's not going to register because, the, you know, the Pro 14 doesn't register over there. And. It was, it was wonderful because you're sort of going, God, like the likes of Ringrose, the likes of Murray, they are playing. They're, they're more comfortable with Schmidt and sort of they're more comfortable with their teammates. They can go for that sort of stuff. We did um, have a penalty advantage on that play. Yeah, good point. Um, but I, th- I think but Ringrose I think, still did what he I did. I didn't realize that actually. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see a bit more from some members of. Well, of that- 
That's what I think. I think um, uh, when people talk about oh, you know, what's what's next for this team, I, I firstly think they should just sit back and enjoy the fact that we won a Grand Slam and we won the championship. It was brilliant. You know, I don't think you always have to be thinking of what's next. What's next is that, you know... Coppers. Well, they, they all have to go back to playing for their for their provinces. Um but there is a, there is a bit of a what's next into there is room to improve, you know. I'm not saying that in the the way like the what I always refer to as the the fake Roy Keaneism where everyone's a critic. It just means that there is like we we scored twenty tries in this in this tournament, uh, but yeah, you know, a lot of our tries we we muscled over, which I'm actually a fan of, and I think it's a completely legitimate way to score. But it's also wearing, and and there, you know, there's. There's this, we, you, if you can play in more than one way, it's great to be able to play in more than one way. So there are slicker ways that we can score, so we can improve there. Thunder's in there. That'll knock the wind out of him. Some of the fans not happy with that. Have to give credit to the forwards. This uh, came from former Welsh Maverick 10, Mark Ring, who occasionally... Um, he used to crop up occasionally before Tony Clement uh, did the commentary. With uh, with Ralph Keys on Welsh matches for TV, Ringer occasionally did commentary for it as well. But his his uh, his tweet was about England. He said Watson's a winger. Wigglesworth just passes all the time and never threatens around the rooks. Rob Sean Haskell are both blindsides, so not much improvement on dropping a second row from the number six position. Teal was a forward playing in the backs, and Simmons is a back playing in the forwards. Um, obviously. Ringer's Ringer's photo is a picture of himself and, and George Best. <laughs> it is his Twitter avatar, and he was a guy who sort of introduced banana kicking a rugby ball to the Northern Hemisphere. So he, he's a guy who was really ridiculously skilled and a bit of a flake, I think, as well. But I thought that was a absolutely spot on appraisal of the uh, of the English selection. Yeah, Ringer was quality. Uh, certainly he, quality to watch in rugby special he was really entertaining he'd need the ball over guys heads and he, I think he'd try to back heel it over guys heads as well <laughs> um, yeah it's hard to quibble with any of it it's a good read um, so where do you think England go well I think the one of the things about where, where teams go and as, as my colleague there was saying when you know, that you automatically assume you're growing up a level. England beat Australia 3-0 in Australia in 2016, the summer of 2016, um, which, and played some smashing rugby there, which, and, you know, that's, that's a, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to win a test series. It's extremely hard thing to do to nil somebody. But where have they gone from there? What have they built? Who has Eddie Jones added to the roster? I look back through that team, um, or oh, sorry, the, the the touring squad, and firstly he he picked a, the the three teams he picked are basically a, a remix of teams he has picked during this year's Six Nations. The guys who were additional on the touring squad, none of them have made any real impact, bar Maro Toje. You know, the other guys that, that Eddie Jones has, has tried to bring in, like, you know, some of them, they've failed for various reasons. Paul Hill, Ellis Genge, Jack Clifford, um, Tamana Harrison. Uh, like, he's, he's, he had them, and then, but where have they, where have they got to? You know, he's still, he's still playing with, uh, with a team which was largely instigated and, and invested in by by Stuart Lancaster now Lancaster picked the best players so that's not it's not a huge criticism of of Eddie Jones but it is uh, I think an affirmation of of Lancaster's ability as a, as a selector uh, in terms of an overall vision for England which was which was strong and it's another I guess counterpoint to Joe Schmidt is that Schmidt has turned over his team and they've got better and even Jerry Thornley's referring to the sort of, you know, the so-called golden generation. You um, call them that, Jerry. <laughs> um, and that that ability of Schmidt to... So we referred to his willingness to, to pick the young guys. That was really, really good. 
and his ability to bring in new blood and to make them successful. Gatland hasn't managed it. He's managed to bring in new blood, but they haven't been successful. And Eddie Jones hasn't managed to bring in new blood. And while that worked for a few years, it hasn't worked uh, this year. So Ireland's, Ireland's, Ireland's position is good as long as we can keep Joe Schmidt. Um, and I guess, you know, Conor Murray, there's, there's a big gap from Conor Murray down to the next player. That's, that's, a, that's an important thing to consider when... Uh, Forced as we are to talk about what's, what happens next. Um, the, the trip to Australia, which is three tests long, I think there's, there's not any real clarity about what to do um, in the eventuality that Conor Murray gets injured or just doesn't tour. I don't think, I'm not sure uh, of whether or not Conor Murray should go on this tour. What do you think? Yeah, I think you should. I think you want to be... The Irish system is set up to allow the international players perform at their best. So Murray's a line. I guess like Woodward came out and talked about the lines. The likes of Murray, Sexton, Hendo, Tyke Furlong, Jack McGrath, like who were on tour last year and are going to be going on tour again. Like it's... Do you have to bring them? Um, but I think you'll want to go down there and win it. And I think the best opportunity to do that is, is to bring Murray down mm. and... And Sexton? Yeah, and Sexton, yeah, yeah. Okay. Definitely, yeah. Ta- and, you know, tailor tailor your uh, tailor your training maybe to, you know, short, sharp. But I'm sure they do short, sharp sessions anyway. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think bring the two guys down there and I think, you know, have a, have a cut at Australia. And it's it's sort of... I guess yeah, it's sort of inevitable that you get, but you mean you can you can rest them and you can you can manage them. It's it's one of the things that pretty provincial certainly like international players don't play many matches for their provincial teams. In no, they really don't. And certainly when you look at the the list of the teams playing, they just don't. And I think we've all got used to that over the last certainly since Nusa Fora joined, which was just after Schmidt's first championship. I think most provincial fans have got more and more used to the idea that whether or not a guy is on a central contract, like he's on an IRFU contract and the IRFU have first call him, the national side have first call him, and that includes him missing a game so he can train for an Irish side. And the, the Leinster-Munster match at Christmas time this year was... a like a great indicator of it because it was absolutely jammers. It was a full house mm. and it was last year as well. And while Munster picked a full strength team, Leinster didn't, but it, like it, it didn't matter. I mean, it was, they were, it, it packed them in. Yeah, like it, and they were two good people, games. People want to go and see those matches. And so there was a lot of bleeding about it uh, two years ago that, oh, you know, why don't they, why, you know, why don't they just let this be a final trial? Like, you know, why don't they have everybody playing? And it's because like the green team become is first, mm-hmm. and it's still the grounds are still packed. They're still good matches. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd bring all the guys down and have a have a cut off Australia. Do you not think there's a benefit to you know, especially at out half and to maybe a lesser extent to scrum half, giving somebody in this case Joey Carberry three starts uh, the way that Paddy Jackson boy. Now, by Sexton's injury, that Paddy Jackson got three starts against uh, South, South Africa, Africa in 2016, which, you know, uh, really sort of pushed him over over the edge in terms of turning him into a much more viable first choice out half around in the event that Sexton wasn't available. Yeah, there is, a, there is, and there's, it's a strong argument for it. I suppose, like, Eddie O'Sullivan would have been the most obvious candidate as an Irish coach that injury was your best selector. Um, it's, I guess it's a balance between wanting to win and wanting to keep winning as much as possible and then wanting to blood guys. And I'd, like, I'm quite conservative in these things. I'd, I'd veer towards just, just wanting winning. to win. And You're a Raiders fan. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. And have the have the guys that are brought on that tour who are probably peripheral um, 
train as hard as they can and understand that there's an opportunity to put your hand up and that games will come like three weeks away on tour particularly then like against a tier one opposition like Australia that that's a hard tour there's going to be a big turnover that is a hard tour that is a hard tour but I'm thinking about when that tour is gone you're looking at uh, uh, three or four games in November I know we're supposed to be playing Italy and Chicago yeah um, and then Six Nations, and then World Cup warm-ups, then the World Cup. So where does Carberry get minutes at the helm? Um, where does John Cooney get his go at Scrum Half? Where does John Cooney get his go at Scrum Half? Cooney, I think, is... Cooney is the most like-for-like like with Murray in terms of how, how he plays the position. Uh, now, there's, a, there's, an, there's another argument that says Luke McGrath trains on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, with both the first and second choice out half. So there's there's a relationship already existing there. But And then, you know, Marmion was the guy who came in at short notice to play against... England. Well, not that short notice, but relatively short notice to play against England and, and had a really good game. So we have three choices there and each of them has, uh, each of them has a, a reasonable argument going that he should be the second choice behind Murray. Yeah, and I think, well, back on that, I go with Cooney from performances this season and the sort of the rounded nature of his game. Uh, and he, and, and he, he he is taking charge up there in a, a team which has not performed well and a pack which has beaten an awful lot of games. And his, his level of performance has been really impressive. You know, to me, I, I think Marmion has been the least impressive of the of the four provincial scrum halves um i i i don't think he's had that good a season uh i think cooney's had an outstanding season and and luke McGrath's had a pretty good season uh so i think that there's like conor murray doesn't need to have a great season for a monster anymore you know he just turns up and plays like 8.5 out of 10 rugby for Ireland every game at least i yeah. suppose i put it put it this way if you were in murray's position and Murray's probably one of the few guys who is in this position. Would you like somebody else to have a, a shot at your jersey? Because <laughs> that's why Murray's not the coach, though. That's why he's not the coach. You know, uh, no, no, that that Sexton wouldn't want Joey Carberry to play a fucking minute. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I, I suppose the one, no, I understand that. Like that's the, but I'm not asking about who's the coach. Like I'm asking if you were in that position, and if you're not Murray, so if you're if you're anybody else really on that team because we're sort of chatting about the idea of the expendables like Jared Payne and Sean O'Brien were on the Lions tour and Sean O'Brien was pretty like the forward of the season or the series for the Lions mm-hmm. but Sean O'Brien wouldn't get his place in the team uh, if it has been picked tomorrow like he'd need no, not, played, not, not at this stage he hasn't, he hasn't played no any, he hasn't played any rugby yeah. so he, he needs to put a rake of games behind him gone so really what I'm saying is like gone well, would, you bring, would you bring Sean O'Brien to Australia he has to play matches he has to prove that he's fit to my mind I would yeah. love yeah I would I would love to like I mean I would I get really frustrated by Shawnee and just like the amount that he talks about himself and the amount that his performance doesn't really back that up and the sort of like but like I used to love him as a player and like I want to love Sean O'Brien again like in 2013 when he played that match against Richie McCaw like and McCaw would talk about like there's very few players that McGlow would talk about in Glow and like mm. do's it were do's and Sean O'Brien but he said like Sean O'Brien was a guy he had to like plan he, you know he had to change his game to play against Sean but like Sean O'Brien was immense in that match like incredibly good so like you'd love for him to be able... Yeah, to, and I'm sure he doesn't want to be injured all the time. You'd love for him to be able to get back to that. So yeah, like you would bring him and, you, and you'd and you try to get him back up to that. But the, there's no proof because he hasn't played any rugby really this season to, to suggest on any sort of consistent basis mm. to suggest that he can reproduce that form. But even if he can't, like he, just God, wouldn't it be great to see him play like 10 matches in a row? Like... Um, now his his injuries have curtailed him more than Rob Kearney. Like Sean O'Brien has played very very few games for Leinster over the last five seasons. Uh, and Robert's had a lot of injuries as well as played, but Robert has has still you know got some games under his belt. 
Uh, and then Robert is able to come back into form this uh, in this recent series of games. You would hope that Sean O'Brien still has the capability of coming back into form. But I think it's not just form. It's actually just the ability to play a run of games. Now, he did play, he played something like five games in four weeks for the Lions, or maybe six games in five weeks last summer. So he was capable of it then, but since then it's been something like... He appears to be paying the price for it now. Yeah, six six games in but I suppose, seven I suppose months where I was for going with the, I suppose where I was going with that question was, like, Devin Toner would be the guy that springs to mind. Like, I thought that Devin Toner played his best rugby for Ireland mm-hmm. because of the competition from James Ryan. But I think that if you look at how well Ireland play, almost... Like, and Keane Healy played really well down in Japan for Ireland. And I think won the jersey from Jack McGrath while Jack McGrath was off subbing for the Lions all the time. Mm. Like, how, how many minutes did Jack McGrath start any oh, matches? Oh, he got he got one match. One match. Uh, and I, subbed all the rest of them. Yeah, something played, like he got, he got about 200 minutes or something like that. And probably played like 45 minutes in the match that he started. So he went down to just sub all the way through for, uh, was it Macca? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Keane Healy got his Irish jersey from him. And like Jack McGrath seemed to be miles ahead in that battle last year. So I don't think if you're on the Irish team, that you want anybody to get a go in your jersey because the, it it doesn't seem to slow you up. Like, they, they just keep doing really well. Yeah. Like the only the only guys who look absolutely bulletproof are uh, Murray and Sexton. Like, oh. Robbie Henshaw's gone and Gary Ringrose has come back in and Bundy Aki. So say Bundy Aki plays yeah. really well and Gary Ringrose plays, plays really well and you're going, oh, like, but we have to pick Robbie Henshaw. Like, Robbie Henshaw's probably my favourite Irish player. And you're going, where? And I'm like, fullback, put him at fullback, drop Robert. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but like that, like we talk about depth, but depth means guys leaving, leaving drops, good leaving, players leaving out. Good players out. And it, like, it's a great position to be in, but if you're one of those, those players, like you don't want it to be you. It's a fabulous position to be in. I don't remember, ever remember us having that many good players, uh, all competing in so many positions. Yeah, it's, it's, like I can, I always look back at, at World Cup squads that we've picked before, and I think that we we have had good squads before. You know, like I I look back on uh, on two thousand seven. We had six good blind sides in that squad. <laughs> That's not exactly. I know, I know number eight. Team Jamie, of blind, team Jamie, of blind sides. And Jamie Eastlip hasn't forgotten about it. But he's already <laughs> he years ago. That was lesson number one. No, that was uh, don't pay attention to Eddie O'Sullivan. Yeah. That was a that was a bit of a zinger there, but um, no, we, you know our second row contingent in in two thousand seven were three lines like Paul O'Connell, Mal O'Kelly, and uh, and Duncha. and each of those guys would go on minimum two lines tours. Like that was a pretty formidable second row core. Um, uh, you know, I think in twenty twenty eleven, like. In 2011, we could have had, if it hadn't been for a very, very late and very unfortunate injury, we would have had Shane Jennings, David Wallace, Sean O'Brien, Stephen Ferris, Leamy and Heaslip, Leamy in, the and Heaslip in the back row. Yeah, you know, maybe you, maybe you you end up not bringing Jeno there, uh, but it, like it was still we we have had bundles of of good players before. Um, but so I think it's I think. It, I do think that we have a really good talent at the moment, a real good depth of talent. But I also think that so much of it is about uh, r- good, talented players being coached extremely well. Yeah, really, really, really well. I mean, you can't speak about this Grand Slam without just speaking really highly of of Joe Schmidt. And I'm sure in a number of months we'll be criticising him again for some perceived flaw. But well, I don't know. I I, I, I I think yeah. I think we're pretty balanced, and like we'd. I think it's fair to say we'd all be Joe Schmidt fans, uh, and and first and foremost. Uh, but like anybody, you know, whether it's like you you can criticise. There's there is legitimate criticism you can you can apply to player, coach, podcaster interviewee whatever you know so uh i think i'd like to think we're fair ah yeah we're great um not as great as joe not as great as joe that's great as joe and yeah congratulations to joe and the team indeed 
second. A very yeah, and, and a very hardy third to that. And it was an outstanding championship, and they deserve all that. Congratulations, kudos come to them. Stadium this afternoon, we'll be looking back at Ireland's great win against Germany and looking ahead to America as the World Cup is now just 12 days away.